from Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church and Touchpoint Ministries. This is the Gary Talks About God podcast. Continuing in our study of John, we're in John chapter 3 this morning. John chapter 3. Looking at religious credentials. I thought about starting this message this way. Just to get everybody to hold up their Bibles to see who has the thickest. <laughs> right? Just, just, just to see. Mine, mine's supposedly a thin line preacher's Bible. I don't know. It's, it's, hard. it's hard now. I, I want a thin line one so I can hold it with font big enough that I can read. Those two things seem to be mutually exclusive. Right? Religious credentials. Sometimes when I go out and I talk to people and they ask me what I do, they'll look at me and I'll say I'm a pastor and they'll look at me and go, you don't look like one. I'm like, I, I really, I still don't know how to respond to that. Thanks. I try not to. I try to and failing, you, you know. And, and as I was thinking about that, if you're, and we're not Catholic this morning, and I, I, I mean to lovingly jest and pick on my Catholic friends and priests, but if you're a Catholic priest, people would know it, right? I mean, I, I got to give the Catholic Church this. They've got great uniforms, right? I mean, if you're a priest or if you're a monsignor or you're a cardinal, everybody knows it. You know, you walk outside and they can just see your religious credentials just by what you're wearing. They, they, they know, as Baptist, not so much. We, we don't have what would be external religious credentials. I joke in, about the Bible. Right? People just by looking at us, just by staring at us on a street corner on even any given day, probably cannot say that's a believer in Christ, that's not a believer. And I bring all this up because in John chapter 3, we are going to be introduced to a man who is basing his salvation and his entrance into the kingdom of God solely on his religious credentials. And Jesus is going to look at him and say, I got some bad news for you about your religious credentials. They're just not good enough. This is what God's word says, beginning in John chapter 3, verse 1 reading down to verse 15. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born again when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born in the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. 
If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This morning, as we go through these verses, just some statements to frame our conversation. And the first one is this. Religious credentials are not enough to save. They're just not. As we come to John chapter 3, the very first word in verse 1 is really important. It's one of those words that sometimes we just read over. It's the word now. We don't think about it now. Okay, now what? Well, that word now ties directly back into what just happened. I've said this many times, you know this, chapter divisions and verses are not inspired, and sometimes they are put in a place where it loses the flow of the conversation of what is happening. And that's what it does that here. Because if we go back to John chapter 2, and we go back to verse 25, it says, and, needed, and Jesus needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Jesus knows what is in man. Now there is a man. So before we are introduced to this man, before we know anything else about him, we already know that Jesus knows him. That whoever this man is, that whoever we are today, Jesus knows our thoughts, knows our mind, knows our desires, our passions. He knows everything about us. As we read in John chapter 3, a man is coming to, to Jesus, and, and, and this man may think, Jesus doesn't know anything about me, but he couldn't be more wrong. Jesus already knows him. We don't, which is why John tells us. Tells us his name. His name is Nicodemus. Tells us that he is a Pharisee. A Pharisee was a, 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 a person who, a part of a religious group, who took the Word of God very seriously. They would study every minute aspect of the law. Even to the point of they, they added their own laws to obey based on, well, if God's law says this, then this means we can't do this, so this becomes a law as well. All told, I think they had somewhere like 613 laws that they had to obey and to follow. And a lot of times that would lead to very silly rules that they had to follow. But being a Pharisee tells us that he took what God said to do seriously. This is not a man who, is, who does not care about the things of God. From the way he would look outwardly from what he would wear to binding his arms and his heads to the prayers, to his offering, to, to everything. He would demonstrate religious fealty to God. He's a serious man. We're also told that he is a ruler of the Jews. So not only is he a man who is serious about the things of God, he has been recognized by the community as someone so serious of the things about the God that they have set him on the ruling council, which would be the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin is a, a, a group, a ruling body of 70 men, 
technically 71, because the high priest led the group. And they functioned much like if you would cross our Senate and the Supreme Court, that would be how they functioned. They would set the laws, but it was also their responsibility to interpret the laws. So they looked at Nicodemus, a devout man, and said, we want you on the council. And he was an older man. You do not become a member of the Sanhedrin when you were 20. You had to live a life worthy that said, this is someone who is worthy to be followed. And remember, as, as well, many cultures, and we're kind of drifting that from that in America, the older you were, the wiser you were. Right? All the young people with their highfalutin new ideas are not necessarily the best. And as I get older, that becomes more true because I'm becoming wiser, at least in my own eyes. Right? But this, this is the picture of the man we have. A religiously devout man who has had demonstrated that fealty to God for an extended period of his life, all the time of his life, to the point that they say, we want you to be on the council to set the laws of the things of God and to interpret the things of God. This is who Jesus is going to speak with. And because Jesus knows all men, it is at this level that he is going to engage Nicodemus in conversation. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he, he looks at him and he says, Rabbi, which, which means teacher. Now that's really interesting. Because here the teacher of Israel is ascribing a title to Jesus that, and it's kind of ironic, yes, I know, because we've read John 1 and 2, that Jesus has not earned <laughs> He's not earned the title of rabbi. He's not been to the school. He's not taught the traditions. He's not studied under somebody else. Jesus, if he was anyone else, would not be afforded that courtesy. But Nicodemus looks at him and says, we, which is also funny because there is no we, there is Nicodemus. Right? Anybody ever hidden behind the we at work? You go to your boss hey, we would like to talk to you about this policy that we don't understand. And it's not a we want to talk to you, it's I want to talk to you. <laughs> but it sounds better if we say we, because there's more of us, more people are thinking that than just me. Perhaps that is what is going on here. Perhaps he is actually sent, but I don't think that he is sent from the Pharisees. I don't think we see a massive movement of Pharisees with Nicodemus being the leader. I think Nicodemus is doing what we do. We want to talk to you. No, I do. We want to talk to you, Rabbi. We know that you are a teacher of God because we have seen what you have done. We have seen the signs. John has told us Jesus performs more signs than he records, and Nicodemus validates that. He says, we have seen what you have done. We've seen the signs. We're watching you teach. We've seen what you're doing. No one, and Nicodemus can make this statement because he is devout. He is following the things of God. No one, Rabbi, can do what you're doing unless you have come from God. It's obvious that God is with you. It's obvious that God has sent you. I would like now, Nicodemus is saying, to enter into a conversation with you to find out who you are. I got some questions I want to ask you. I want to talk to you. What, when did God send you? Why are you performing these signs? On whose authority do you do these things? Whose authority did you drive out the people and cleanse the temple? What do you think of this law? 
What do you think of Law 518? Is that one valid? Are we inter- I want to discuss weighty matters of the law with you. I want to talk to you. And it is at this level that Nicodemus wants to engage Jesus. Which is a good level to engage him in. However, Nicodemus has a serious problem. And the problem that Nicodemus has is even though he looks religious, he is very far from God. One of the ways we see this, and it's very subtle, when did Nicodemus come to talk to Jesus? What part of the day was it? It was at night. Now, John, in writing his gospel, is a master of saying things. A lot of what John writes, he is communicating a a, a theological truth with the words he is using. Was it night when Nicodemus came to Jesus? Most likely. Yes. Now, let's take some things that we know about just night. You did not go to someone at night unless it was extremely urgent. Right? Remember Jesus is telling the parable that, that the neighbor came to knock on their neighbor's door and it was at night and it's like, why are you bothering me? It's night. I've shut the door. I've locked the door. And the neighbor's going, no, no, no. This is really, really important. This is urgent. I need your help right now. There is an urgency displayed in that word. There is also a darkness displayed in that word. But not a physical darkness, but a theological darkness. Because as John writes his gospel and he writes about darkness and night, what he is talking about is the spiritual darkness that encapsulates people who are far from God. It is about, they they are night, it's it's night, their hearts are dark, They're, they're, they're in nightness because they can't see the things of God. Because there's unbelief in their hearts. So you take all of this together. This devout man, ruler of the Jews, comes to Jesus at night with an emergency question and at the same time, he is spiritually night in his soul also. Because even though everybody would say, you're close to God, he's far away. So when he comes to Jesus, looks at Jesus and and, and says this to him, Jesus looks at him and gives him the answer that he really needs. And Jesus says to him, hey, Nicodemus, and this is our second point just to hang your hats on, you must be born again. Religious credentials are not enough. You must be born again. And Jesus introduces this in verse 3 with the words, truly, truly, depending on your translation, amen, amen, verily, verily. It is the way that Jesus says, pay attention to what I'm about to say. Nicodemus, you must be born again. Now, this is, this is really interesting because Jesus just skips right to the heart of the matter. Nicodemus is going to have all these conversations, and you can see the way that he comes, and, and, and we do it today too, right? Before you talk to somebody, you've got to go through the pleasantries. How you doing? I'm well. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How's your family? Oh, their family? What's so-and-so doing? Right? I mean, and, and we're Southern. We, we do it even more so. Right? But the Jews, you didn't just jump into the conversations. There was, you, you had to kind of, it was almost a process. You had to ask these questions and kind of, you know, just go back and forth. Jesus says, you know what? Um, 
I'm going to dispense with the pleasantries, Nicodemus. You need to be born again. You see, Jesus doesn't need to talk to Nicodemus about all the laws. He, he doesn't need to, to discuss that with him. Nicodemus knows them. He knows the 613. He knows the right offerings to make. He, he knows the right prayers to pray. He knows the right sacrifices to make. He knows all of that. And Jesus just immediate looks, immediately looks at him and says, No, Nicodemus, you must be born again. In other words, Nicodemus, everything that you're doing is wrong. Can you imagine the shock? Right? We talked about that this morning in Sunday school. There's my weekly Sunday school plug. Talking about it in the context of 1 Corinthians where the Jews, basically the dietary laws were, were questioned. <laughs> they said, no, no, you don't have to do that. You can, you can eat this meat or not eat this meat. All their lives they've known, no, you can't. Now God is saying, yes, you can. What, what, what do you do when all your life God has said, this is what you need to do, and now God is saying, I am giving you a greater freedom. Everything that you have been doing, you, you've been doing it well, Right? Jesus doesn't argue with Nicodemus that. You, you've been doing it well. You've been following me, but you've, you've kind of, you, you, you've missed, you missed the point. It's not about your religious credentials. Right? Even today, we're still guilty of that. I, I, I joked about the Bible's right, uh, and, and we kind of have it. If you're in church long enough, you know it, right? Somebody walks into church with their Schofield Study Bible with their five highlight letter, highlighting system. Like, ooh. Right? You're sitting here going, all right, what color? I, I need another highlight. What, what color can I use? I need six. You, you, you know? We, we pray. We got to get the right words in when we pray, right? We got to say the right words. We got to call God the right name. We got to use the right terminology. We got we to lapse into our, our, our Christianese so everybody can know our religious bona fides. Right? We gotta sing the loudest on all the hymns, even if we don't know the words. Like me. That one that that that's me, right? Right? We 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 understand we we come into it and we have these religious credentials that that even if we don't want to say out loud, we're hoping that God might look down at us and go, Okay. Okay. They're doing it right. I want him because of all the external credentials that he's doing. That was who Nicodemus is. And Jesus looks at him and says, I don't even want to talk to you about that, Nicodemus. You must be born again. Nicodemus, I know you are coming representing the best of the best, but you're representing the old religion. Remember the old wine that ran out in Cana? You're representing the old. And while, yes, you obeyed the old covenant of do's and don'ts, you missed the point. The point was never that you keep it so that externally you would be received. It was so that you could see my heart and your heart would be transformed. And here Nicodemus is still just trying to, to make it in that, that legalistic obedience to just doing it correctly but the problem is Nicodemus doesn't see it is the very actions that he is participating in the very actions that he is doing is actually keeping him away from what he wants he wants entrance into the kingdom of God but what he's doing isn't going to get him 
there. Jesus looks at him and says, Nicodemus, you, you, you must be born again. You have to be born again. And for Nicodemus, he, he can't understand this. It's so confusing to him. And part of it was because he was born a Jew. And Jewish people believe because they were God's chosen people that their physical birth automatically guaranteed them entrance into the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus looks at him and says, Nicodemus, even though that you were and the Israelites were chosen by God, even though you were born into the nation of Israel, Nicodemus, it's not enough. It doesn't guarantee you entrance into the kingdom. Nicodemus, your birth followed by your pedigree is not enough. Now, that would be a pretty astounding statement, especially as we look back. I'm not a Jew. And if it's not enough for chosen, the chosen people of God to be born into the nation of Israel and do all the right things, then, then what hope is there for me? What hope is there for you? What hope is there, there, there for anyone? Well, the hope is in the statement, you must be born again. Nicodemus, you must be born again. The ruling council must be born again. The Pharisees must be born again. You and I, people watching us on Facebook, people all throughout the world, must be born again. There is the hope, because after the word born is the word again. That something different can happen to Nicodemus to get him into the kingdom of God that will also allow us to gain entrance into the kingdom of God. But how is that possible? And at this point, Nicodemus' mind just kicks into high gear. The, the imagination level just jumps up several notches. And he makes a comment that I imagine makes every woman cringe. Right? He says, uh, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, I am uniquely unqualified to speak on childbirth. However, I feel with pretty much 100% certainty no mom ever wanted that process to go in reverse. Right? I mean, I, I, I'm sorry, Nicodemus said it. It's in God's Word, so I, I can't get in trouble for, for saying that. <laughs> right? But that's all Nicodemus can think. All Nicodemus can think of is a physical birth. But here's the problem. What's the problem? What's the problem? He already has the physical birth. He's already got the right birth, but it's not enough. It is not enough. So this second birth, this new birth, to be born again, it, it's got to be something that has its center outside of humanity. It has to have its center somewhere outside just a physical birth process. And if it's outside of humanity, that only leaves one place. It's got to come from God. It's got to come from the God who is above. And we translate it, you must be born again, but there is also equally good usage of that word for above. You must be born from above. I've seen it translated in some places, you must be born again from above. Because that is exactly what Jesus is talking about. That there has got to be a rebirth that comes from the God who is above. And John has already alluded to this. 
John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. You've got to be born again from God who is above. And so Jesus looks at Nicodemus and, and for the second time in verse 5 says, Truly, truly, pay attention. And he says really the same thing, but in a different way. I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. What in the world is Jesus talking about? Well, let's read verse 10 really quickly because it helps us understand verse 5. Jesus talking to Nicodemus says, and this is key, listen, are you the teacher of Israel? Are you the teacher? That, that the is really important. Because it elevates Nicodemus already. We know he's a pretty cool dude. We know he's pretty wise. He's a Pharisee. He's on the Sanhedrin. All, all of a sudden, Jesus, think about that for a minute. All right, God in the flesh. God who was there at all creation and made all things and through whom all things are made. Who, who is the focus of the law. Looks at Nicodemus and calls him the teacher of Israel. Don't let that escape you. There is an outstanding quality about Nicodemus, both in his intelligence and his fidelity to God. And Jesus looks at him and says, you are the teacher of Israel, and you don't understand this? You don't understand that you must be born again? You don't understand that you must be born of, of spirit and, and water? You don't, you don't understand this, Nicodemus? So let's put on our thinking caps for a minute. <clears throat> If that is the case, with Nicodemus being a teacher of the law, and this is something that Jesus expected him to know, where would Nicodemus find it? Where would that be for him? Where, where, let's use our, our scriptures today. Where would it be for us today? It'd have to be in the Old Testament, right? If he is a teacher of the law, and Jesus says, you, need, you should have known this, then it's got to be something that we have access to as well. And we do. Ezekiel 36, verse 22 down to verse 29. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God. So this is what God has given to Ezekiel to speak. Quote, It is not for your sake, O Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when, though, when through you I vindicate my holiness before your eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle you clean. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your unrighteousness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. 
And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I give to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your uncleanliness. That's what Nicodemus should have known. From the very beginning, when you look at the laws and you look at what he's supposed to be doing, it's never been about slavish external obedience. And in that passage in Ezekiel, Israel has broken the law. They're acting unrighteously. They, they, have, they have profaned God's word. They are far from God. And God says, I am going to draw you back to me. And what's he going to do? He's going to take the water and he's going to cleanse them with the water and he's going to put a new spirit in them. And so we have water and spirit coming together that's going to place in them a new heart that then will enable them to follow God. I will put my spirit within you so that you can, and it will call, the spirit will cause you to walk in my statutes. I'm going to give you a heart that will then be able to obey me and follow me because I am going to wash you and cleanse you from all your unrighteousness. I will place my spirit in you. You see, what it has always been is a heart issue. It's always been a heart issue. And the only way to see the kingdom of God is for us to have a transformed heart that only comes from God. We cannot do it ourselves. That's the gospel. I mean, that, that's the gospel. And, and Jesus here essentially is preaching the gospel to Nicodemus who should have already known the gospel. That God's going to cleanse them from unrighteousness and place within them His Holy Spirit. What do we say? We come to Christ and we say, you know, we confess you as Lord and Savior. Cleanse us from our sins and place within us our holy. The same thing that we see in Ezekiel 36. The same thing that Nicodemus should have said. It's the same thing that is repeated in 1 Corinthians. When, when Paul is writing, he talks about the, the, the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God, and he gets and, and he lists all the deeds of the unrighteous, and then he says, but some, such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. See, that's the power of the gospel. It's not that it cleanses you or uh, enables you to externally be obedient to the law. It's internal transformation that gives you a new heart so that you can follow the things of God. And that's what Jesus is telling Nicodemus. That is how you get to see the kingdom of God. You get to see the kingdom of God because there's been a complete regeneration. And it all starts with and ends with God. And to demonstrate this, he starts talking about the wind. Right? It, it, it seems kind of an interesting analogy. He talks about the wind blowing and moving, and you might think, well, does that mean that, that we can't know what is going on, what God is doing, what the Spirit of God is doing? That, that's not it. Right? We understand this. You know how we understand this? 
Jesus is telling him the wind is mysterious and powerful, but we don't know where it blows, but we can't master the direction, but, but, but we know it's there. You don't believe me. Go home today and grab your leaf blower. The wind cannot blow all day until you crank up your leaf blower. And the moment you crank, you see, now you're starting to catch on. You're starting to laugh because you realize the moment you turn on your leaf blower, there is a wind that you have not felt all day. And what do you do? You go, well, I'm going to use the wind to my advantage. And you turn, and you're like, but it was just blowing from this direction. So you're like, okay, I got it. You turn, turn this, and you can't win. You've got a leaf blower blowing out 150 miles per hour wind, and a two-mile-an-hour wind defeats you every single time. Now does Jesus' illustration make sense? And that's what he's telling Nicodemus. It's like, look, Nicodemus, you don't have to understand every aspect. All right? We don't have to understand every aspect of the wind to know that wind exists and we can feel it. You don't have to understand every aspect of being born again, but you can experience Nicodemus. Now that's a comforting thought. Because if the requirement was to understand every aspect of it, none of us would. But he's saying, Nicodemus, the Spirit blows, God blows his Spirit, and he draws the people to him. And he's looking at Nicodemus saying, right now, Nicodemus, the Spirit's blowing in your life, drawing you near me. You can experience it, even though you might not understand all of it. And then Jesus tells Nicodemus, by the way, I'm going to secure this new birth for you. Right, Because Nicodemus still doesn't understand. He asks in verse 9, how can these things be? And again, he, he says to Nicodemus in verse 11, truly, truly, Nicodemus, come on, man. Work with me. You're the teacher of the law. Work, work with me. But I'm going to tell you how. I, I'm going to tell you how, Nicodemus, and I'm able to tell you how because, verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven. Right, Nicodemus, I, I have come down from heaven, but even in me coming down from heaven, Nicodemus, let me point to the fact that one of these days I'm going to ascend back. Right, even in that statement, Jesus is looking down the, the road where he is going to go to the cross, looking to the resurrection and his ascension into heaven. But he says, Nicodemus, I, I, I tell you what, I can explain these things to you because I'm the one who has come down from heaven. And he says to Nicodemus, I want to tell you, help you understand this. I want to answer the question to you, Nicodemus, based on something you already know. And he says, just as the serpent in the wilderness must be lifted up, so must the Son of Man. And in doing that, he's talking about a story in Numbers chapter 21. You don't need to turn there. You can just jot that down. Go look at it later. But Numbers chapter 21, the Israelites are, are coming up. They're going through the desert, and they start to grumble. You've brought us out here so that we can die in the wilderness. It was so much better in Egypt, even though we were in slavery and we had to make bricks and they beat us and, and they didn't like us. We want to go back to Egypt. They were sinning against God. They were grumbling against God. And when you sin, <laughs> God's word tells us the wages of sin is death. So in that context, Jesus, or excuse me, God sends fiery serpents 
among the people and they bit the people so that many of the people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, wait a minute, Moses, we've sinned. For we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he takes away the serpents from us. They recognized their sin. They recognized that the serpents in the camp biting them was, sin, was, was as a result of their sin, that their judgment for their sin was that they recognize all this and they're saying, Moses, please make it go away. Moses prays to God and, and, and this is the answer. Make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Jesus, excuse me, God provided a way. Provided a way. Moses goes and fashions this bronze serpent, and, and he puts it on a pole, and we don't know where he puts it, but he's got to put it somewhere. Elevate it, lift it up so that the people in the camp can see it. So those people in the back, so the back row Baptist, y'all could see it. It's got to be high. He lifts up the serpent. So when you're going through camp and a serpent comes and a serpent bites you, you have a choice to make. You can either die because you're going to, or you can look towards the salvation that God has given you. Right? See, because the looking up at the serpent that Moses erected was not preemptive. I couldn't look up at it before the serpent bites me. It's after that I have to look, which means to look on with belief to be saved. Back to John 3.14. Nicodemus, the serpent was lifted up as a means of salvation for the people, for what? For their sins. For we have sinned against God. Jesus says to Nicodemus, how has this happened? How is this possible? How can I be born again? Well, you can be born again, Nicodemus, because I am going to be lifted up for your sins. I'm going to be judged for your sin. For our sake, he made him, meaning Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. Nicodemus, I'm going to go to the cross. You're going to see me in about three years, lifted up on a hill outside of the walls of Jerusalem. And when you see me lifted up, Nicodemus, you need to do the same thing that the people in the wilderness did. You need to look up and believe, and you will be saved. Nicodemus, whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Nicodemus, you look up at me, you're going to be saved because I will take on your sins so that through my death you might become the righteousness of God, Nicodemus. That's how. That's how it happens. Not your external religious credentials not how many times you pray not all the hymns you sing not how many highlighters you use not how much you give not how much you do but looking up at the one jesus christ who took our place on the cross died for our sins so that we might be the righteousness of god
That's an amazing message of freedom right here at July 4th because it's the ultimate freedom that we can have. Freedom from our sins so that we may have eternal life. The Gary Talks About God podcast is a production of Touchpoint Ministries and Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germantown, North Carolina. Want to learn more? Visit our website at www.redbankmbc.com. If you enjoyed this content, please like and subscribe. Thank you for joining us.